We're in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verses 8 through 12 this morning. We considered the three issues, the relational issues of submission in uh, the first part of chapter 3, well, at the end of chapter 2 and first part of chapter 3. And verse 8 of chapter 3 begins with the word finally, finally. It doesn't mean that he intended to end the book. It just means that he intended to complete that section on uh, submission with this small section on how we are to be as Christians. So I've entitled the sermon, Be a Blessing and Inherit a Blessing, because if we follow these guidelines, these admonitions of the Lord, then the Lord will bless us. And that's what I want to kind of bring out this morning. So let's read from verses 8 to 12. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ear, his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So this passage, uh, it's a, it's a wonderful passage and, and, uh, it's, it's memorable in many ways in the way that Peter builds on, uh, this admonition for us to be a blessing to others and to inherit a blessing from God who is looking at our behavior. And also in the way that he uses Psalm 34. There's quite a a fair block of quotation from Psalm 34 there. And he inserts it very skillfully into his argument, which gives us a great example of how to use the Old Testament uh, for our own devotion and for our own uh, help in this life. You know, he's dealt with submission, which is rather a difficult doctrine, whoever it is spoken to. It means humbling ourselves. It means uh, being willing to uh, find our place, whatever that may be, and be content in that situation. But now Peter talks to all of us, about how we are to be every day as Christians. Notice in verse 9 he says, knowing that you were called to this. 
knowing that you were called to this. So this can be seen as a calling that's upon all of us as God's children. And therefore, it's basic. I have to admit, it's not, doesn't seem very basic to me at times. And we have to remind ourselves, I have to remind myself, this is the basic behavior that God requires of me. This is the kind of the basic calling of the Christian. And I don't always do very well in this department. And so this is certainly a a timely and helpful sermon for myself. He begins by talking about unity, unity. And in a sense, the whole passage is about unity. All of you be of one mind. This was a big thing in the ancient world generally. A lot of the the Greek philosophers and thinkers and the Roman thinkers, they would speak about unity of purpose. Of course, for them, it was uh, also connected with the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, and just doing what Rome told you to do. So it was used somewhat for political purposes. That's not what Peter is doing here. Peter is not saying be of one mind under the authority of Rome. He's saying in and of yourself, as much as depends upon you. I'm I'm taking a little bit from Paul here. Make sure that you are the kind of person who makes it easy to be of one mind with. Now, if you are a malicious person, if you are an angry person, if you, uh, you know, hold a grudge, if you are discontented, then we certainly don't want anyone else to be like that. We don't want anyone to be of one mind with you when you're in that kind of a spiritual condition. It's only useful to be of one mind if you, if I, are concerned to be like Christ. If we are concerned to let the Holy Spirit have his way with us rather than ourselves. We've got to kill the I. We've got to uh, humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God so that God may have his way and his will in our lives. It's that kind of unity of mind that Peter has in view here. And it should be something that we are ready to cooperate with. After all, we have the Holy Spirit, do we not? We do understand that we're sinners, and we do understand where that sin leads if we let it go. We understand that it leads to all kinds of frustrations, of discontent, of lust, of anger, of, uh, you know, selfishness. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's nothing good comes from letting sin and self have its thing. We have to be willing to put that to death daily. We have to be willing to have the mind of Christ And so, yes, he's speaking here to a group of Christians, those that are scattered abroad in the diaspora 
of the ancient world, mainly Jews here, but it certainly speaks to us too. In that group called Christians, God has given each one his word, his Holy Spirit, his salvation, and he watches over each one of us. And the group is not going to be of one mind and it's not going to shine brightly if the individuals within that group are not obedient first and foremost. So it's not like, well, if you, if you behave like this, I'm going to behave like this. It's not the way if I see somebody else behave like this, then, you know, then yes, I'll, I'll sign up too. This word comes to us and it commands us to check our life to see if we are like this. To see if we are fit to have unity of mind with. And this unity of mind here is not first and foremost doctrinal notice, not in Peter. It has to do with our character. It has to do with the kind of human being that we are. Do we have compassion for one another? Do we love as brothers and as sisters? Are we tender-hearted? Are we courteous? And the idea of being courteous here, the, the word is really more to do with being humble. And showing right courtesy often does mean some form of, of uh, humility, but I think the idea here is better brought out by uh, having that kind of humble regard to other people. I look at this and I apply it to myself and I ask myself, am I always compassionate, loving, tender-hearted, courteous in that humble way? And some I think, oh, I give myself six out of ten for that and I give myself five out of ten for that. And uh, sometimes I give myself three out of ten for some of the others. I'm not going to tell you which ones they are. But... But there's work to be done. And I know, because the Holy Spirit's been given to me, that this should be basic. So I know that the reason that this is not more basic in my life is because I'm, there's too much of me involved. I'm not yielding to God like I should be yielding. I'm not thinking about, okay, what is my basic duty today before anything else that I have to do? What is the basic thing that God requires of me today? Well, here it is. This is how I'm to go forth into the world. This is how I'm to speak to my family. This is how I'm to speak to others that I encounter. This is how I'm to be. So that's the positive aspect here. Compassion for others, so others that are going through a hard time, others that need a a listening ear, 
I'm to have that readiness, that compassion. You can't be compassionate if you're not willing to stop and give that person your attention and give them uh, some time. Love, brotherly love. This is not necessarily, you know, an, an affectionate thing as far as, you know, like you would love uh, your wife or your kids so much as having that friendly regard towards others who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Tender-heartedness. You know, we live in a rather hard-hearted world where um, people don't want to be vulnerable. But we're called to be like Jesus. Jesus was tender-hearted. That's why children were often the illustration that he gave when it came to behavior, when it came to belief, when it came to the way that we should act. So that's the basic conduct. And then he gives the reverse, of course, which we can bring positive aspects out from it in verse 9, the first part in particular, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. So again, this addresses us as individuals. Somebody is snarky towards you, somebody is uh, evil or unpleasant towards you, that does not give you, that does not give me a right to respond in kind. That's not what God's looking for. That's not why the Holy Spirit's been given to you. Our reactions very often show what kind of people we are. Much, they're much better uh, spiritual thermometer than, you know, just us saying the right things, using the right language, going to the right places, dressing the right way, and so on. Our reactions really show who we are. In this context, Peter is writing to people who are often persecuted, who are often reviled from people outside. He's already mentioned that in chapter 2, and he's going to go on to talk about it again. This was a climate of persecution, a climate of people who would be discourteous and evil in their words towards Christians. So in, in uh, the first sense, this has to do with the way that we are to the world. But it also, of course, by extension, speaks about the way we are to be to everybody, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, Christians, I'm sure you know this, can speak evil of us. I've had it done to me, I'm sure you've had it done to you. But the world certainly might want to take up some uh, word of reviling towards us. That does not give us 
a green light to be likewise. That's not an option for us. We think it should be because of fairness. They do it to us, then we should be allowed to do it to them. And that's kind of as far as our thinking goes very often. But that shows what? That our thinking is not being governed by the word of God. It's so subtle. The word of God, one of the reasons that we're to be constantly in it and that we're to meditate upon it is so that we can have this recall when we need it, so that we can have this admonishment from what we've read in the word spring directly to us when we need it, so that we're told, no, that's not the way you're going to respond in this situation to this person. You're going to do this one. You don't feel like it, but this is God's command. This is what's possible for you as a Christian. This is your basic conduct. So he continues, and I've kind of taken it from the middle of verse 9 to verse 11, to speak about being a blessing. On the contrary, he says, don't return evil for evil, but return a blessing. A blessing. Speak well, do well towards that other person. You don't feel like doing that sometimes. I mean, who, when they are reviled, feels like saying a a good word to that person? Still less doing a good deed toward that person. But that is the way that Christ wants us to be. That's the way he was. We are called, therefore... Again, this is basic, to be a blessing to other people, even to those that persecute us. Knowing that you were called to this. You see how Peter underlines this? He makes it basic. And to some of us, It's not basic. So we may have been Christians many years, but this is still not basic Christianity to us. The main thing about Christian witness really is not whether we can tell people about Jesus. And it's not whether we can tell people that we go to church and which church we go to and how long we've been going there. It's what they see in our lives. It is that kindness. It is that willingness to humble ourselves and be a blessing even when we are being spoken against. But this, because God is gracious, is actually the way to inherit a blessing. So it's not just 
a rule that's given to us that we have to follow and there's no, there's nothing on the end of it. There is an incentive. God always gives incentives. I think he gives incentives, rewards to us because he understands how difficult it is to live in this world and in these bodies and to deal daily with sin. It is difficult. It is imperfect. Especially when things get very tough under persecution, for example. God understands this. He knows our frame. And so it doesn't take away from us our duty as Christians to actually witness and be the kind of people that uh, that show others that we are followers of Christ. But we can do this knowing that we can inherit a blessing. Inherit a blessing. Now this blessing, I think part of the quotation from Psalm 34 gives us an idea of this, but... Uh, the blessing can be the blessing of God in our lives presently or it can be a future reward. I think it will be both. So I know I'm going to cut Psalm 34, this quotation here, in half so that I can have my third point. But going down to verse 11, let us uh, see how the psalm is used to illustrate this. He who would love life and see good days. Well, we want to see good days. Let him do some very straightforward things. Some very common sense things. Let him restrain or refrain his tongue from evil. To refrain from doing evil means that there is a possibility of doing otherwise. To, be, to, to refrain from doing it means that we could do it. Not that we should do it, but that we could do it. There's a temptation to do it. There's an urge to do it. Very much in the Christian life, you know, it's, it's not that we feel like obeying or we feel like doing what Christ would do. Christ did it because that was his very nature. He was good and he was without sin. We're not good and we're not, we are full of sin. And that means that we have got to obey even when we don't feel like obeying. That if we're going to glorify God, we've got to go against our own natures. Let him refrain his tongue from evil. James has a lot to uh, say about the tongue, doesn't he? About the world of iniquity set on fire of hell. 
We need to be careful of what comes out of our mouths, what words we speak. I know that uh, you know we, there's this uh, postmodern view that words are violence. I don't believe that. I think that's that's silly. That's taking it too far. Violence is the wrong word. But words certainly can wound emotionally. They can harm. They can also heal. So let us speak healing words. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Deceiving each other. Tricking each other. Pretending that we're something that we're not. That's the basic idea here is hypocrisy. Let him turn away from evil and do good. That means it's necessary to turn. Do you see? It's necessary to, the the usual word is what? Repent. We have to have a life that is a repentant life. Not just repent once, but repent constantly. Because we have to turn from evil. Our proclivity is to what? is to go towards evil, to be tempted by evil, to give way to the evil that's within us and the evil that comes in through the five senses. To believe the messages of the world of flesh and the devil and to act upon them. We have to say, no, I'm going to turn from that. I'm going to yield to the Spirit of God. Within me. I'm going to obey the word of God. This has nothing to do with feelings, folks. Okay? It has nothing to do with feelings. You can choose to turn from evil, just as you can choose to be tender hearted. You can. You can choose to humble yourself. And God is looking for followers like that. Let him turn away from evil and what? Do good. There you are. There's something to put in its place, as there always is in Christianity. You take away from this and you replace it with something that's good, that's edifying, that's going to build up others and build yourself up. It's going to do good to you internally as well as others externally. You put off the old man and his lust. You put on Christ. You die to self so that Christ, through the Spirit, can live in you. You don't walk in the flesh Rather, you refuse to do that so that you can walk in the Spirit. There's always a replacement. 
So you turn away from evil and you do good. Let him seek peace. Seek peace and pursue it, which is almost redundant because if you're seeking it, aren't you pursuing it? Well, but the pursuance, you see, of peace means that this is something that's high on your agenda. Okay? You need to be a peacemaker. You need to be somebody who, as much as is in you, and as much as it depends upon you, you ensure that there's peace. Now, this does not mean, folks... This does not mean that you have to be perfect in order for there to be peace. Because he's talking about unity here. So this comes to all of us. We're all to be this way. And if two people are pursuing peace, there will be peace. Yes? There won't always be complete agreement on everything. But we're told to love. We're told to be courteous. We're told to have tender hearts. These are the ingredients of peace. We need to pursue these things. This is the way to inherit the blessing of God. Why? Because the Lord sees. He sees whether we're doing this or not. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Here the word righteous is is being used for somebody who is denying self and is following Christ and following his word. The eyes of the Lord are upon you when you obey him, when you decide you're going to be this kind of a person. When you get back to these Christian basics. And his eyes are upon you, not in judgment and not in displeasure. But obviously he looks kindly and lovingly. He's pleased with Christians when they do this. So it's not just that... We have this way of acting because we're Christians. It is that we have a relationship with God who, uh, whose own heart is like this. And when he sees us going against our own sin natures, going against the messages of the world, going against our own lusts and temptations, and doing the right thing, uh, working on our words, working on our character, it pleases him. He sees it. And sometimes we forget that. Or at least we kind of know it because God sees everything and, you know, it's just one of those articles of Christian faith we check, you know, all right, yeah, well, I know that. But you see, what Peter is doing here is he's saying, no, 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 no. Obviously, God sees everything that's going on. But the point here is that he's watching you. And he's watching you to see what you will do. 
and you can you have an opportunity here to please him so that you know if you're trying to be this kind of a person you're pleasing god and that can be nothing but good for you His eyes are upon you. His ears are open to your prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, the way Peter is using this is obviously he's applying this this uh, passage, which is it's it's an application. It's not the context in which uh, Psalm 34 is is speaking, because it's speaking about uh, actual enemies and so on, and and actual judgment. It goes on to speak about judgment. But the application to Christians is also, look, if we are not concerned with this basic uh, conduct, with being a blessing to people, then God's against us. Okay, he's not going to be concerned to answer our prayers. He's not going to be uh, concerned to um, help us in our days. We are going to, you know, the fruits of our own disobedience are going to catch up with us. And we will find that unless we turn from evil, unless we're willing to repent, unless we're going to be uh, willing to obey... God is not going to be on our side. Oh, yeah, I mean, don't worry. He'll never leave you and never forsake you. But you can imagine it, if you want, God walking alongside you with a scowl on his face because you're disobedient. Rather than God being a companion or you being a companion with God in your earthly pilgrimage this is the basic idea of Christian conduct we're called to be a blessing we're called to be a blessing and that's kind of where I want to leave it this morning because we can choose to be a blessing to people we don't want to, it's not about waiting for the other person. Okay? This is about, okay, so what are you going to do? Because God's watching you. God's watching me. So never mind about us looking at other people. God's looking at them. Okay? You can leave that to God. He's got that one covered. Now, what about looking at yourself? And as you know that God is watching how are you going to respond? How are you going to live? Are you going to be a blessing or are you not? You know that the decision to obey, the decision to go against our own iniquity, sometimes our own feelings, to turn from evil will please God. And that's nothing but good. Let's pray. And so, gracious Father, help me to be this kind of a person more. 
Help us all, Father, to understand that in being a blessing, we inherit a blessing from you. That there is that encouragement. That when we seek peace, and if more than one person seeks peace, there'll be peace. There'll be accord. Things might not go perfectly in this imperfect world, but things can be different. And we can have lives, we can have relationships, we can have futures that please you. We can have a church that pleases you. Help us, Father, to take these words to heart this week. In Jesus' name, amen.